Thanks for tuning in to the Meadowview Weekly Sermon Podcast. We are a church who seeks to grow in Christ, gather in community, and go in obedience to the Great Commission. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn it with me to Acts chapter 9. We're going to pick up where we left off last week, Acts chapter 9. This is actually our third week in this chapter. And, uh, you know, Lord willing, we'll finish it this week. So um, Acts chapter 9, if you're there. We're looking at missional living that glorifies God. So we'll be in verses 32 through 43. Um, and, and if you kind of work your way there, you'll see that the storyline is changing back to Peter. Uh, missional living that glorifies God. That's exactly what Isaac and Pauline are doing. You're seeing a missional life that's lived exactly where they are that glorifies God. And so we're going to talk about what that looks like for us, for them, for all who call uh, on the name of Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior, that we're called to missional living. What we've seen is we've jumped into the book of Acts is that God has a plan. He has a plan A. And here's plan A. Plan A, God uses his church to further his kingdom. That's plan A. All right, this is what we've read in Acts 1.8. And Acts 1.8 says, But you will receive power in the Holy Spirit when he's come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. This is plan A. God uses his church to further his kingdom. All right? So plan B. Are you ready for plan B? There's no plan B. That, that's it. Like, we got plan A, no plan B. Okay? So God uses his church to further his kingdom. This week, as, uh, as Chip had mentioned, some of the staff, we were able to go to a conference, and there was a guy there by the name of David Platt. Don't know if you've heard of him. If you uh, haven't, you should pick up one of his books. They'll make you feel real good about yourself. Uh, that was sarcasm. And David Platt, he, he says this, Christians have been saved solely by God's grace and supremely for God's glory among the nations. I say this to say missional living, we've been, we've been redeemed for a purpose. We've been called into a kingdom for a purpose. God uses his church to further his kingdom. That means that every single follower of Jesus Christ has been redeemed for the purpose of glorifying God, not only here, but out there. We're to glorify God to the nations, that there's to be an expansion that takes place. So I'm going to go ahead and give you my three points for the morning in case I don't get through them all because I'm on a little bit of a time crunch. But I'm going to go ahead and give you all three points. And that way, if you fall asleep, you've got them. Okay? So here they are. Missional living glorifies Christ by humbly pointing to his power. As we get into this section of scripture, you're going to see how Peter is not taking credit for it. He's pointing everyone to Jesus Christ. This is what missional living does. Missional living lives with a purpose of pointing people towards the glory of God, his power, his, his salvation, his redemption. It's about Jesus Christ. Number two, missional living glorifies Christ by humbly practicing his pattern. You're gonna see as we look at these two healings that take place, that Peter's following a pattern that he received from following Jesus Christ. He followed Jesus so closely that it is obvious in the way that he talks and the way that he acts as you get into these healings. It's, it's a clear representation that he's living out exactly what he saw in Jesus Christ. Thirdly, missional living glorifies Christ by humbly preaching his promise. Now, you're going to say, now, Jeff, preaching, that's your job right? I'm not called to do that. That's what you went to school for. You have at it, buddy. No, we're all called to proclaim the gospel. We're all called to proclaim and preach Jesus Christ. And the best thing that we can proclaim and preach is a hope of a resurrection, that our lives here are just momentary, but there is, a, there is one who sent his son so that we could have life everlasting, that we have a hope for a future, that those who perish, that we will one day see again. Amen? So this, this is the hope. This is what we 
promise to people. This is what we preach. So there is a plan A. God uses his church to further his kingdom. There is no plan B. So this means that if you live missionally, your life will glorify God. Isn't that good news? If you live missionally, if, if you take the opportunities you have to humbly point towards the power of God, if you take the, the, the times you have to humbly practice the pattern that was set before you by your Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, if you take the time to humble yourself and to preach and to proclaim the promise that we have in Jesus, your life will glorify God. And that is why you have been redeemed. This is God's plan A. You might be having questions right now, but I don't know if I feel called to missions, Jeff. I mean, this is a great morning. I love hearing from Isaac and Pauline what they're doing. I'm just not sure if that's, that's really what God's called me to do. I, I don't know if I'm really called to evangelism. I, I, I get kind of tongue-tied. You know, I, I, I stutter a little bit. I don't know. I don't feel educated enough. I'm afraid that if I get in a conversation that they're going to ask me a question and I'm going to be like, I don't know. I don't know the answer to that. And then they're going to think I'm a, I'm a fool. I just don't want to put myself in that situation. Or maybe you're sitting here and you're like, listen, I just am not physically able anymore. I just, I just can't physically do it. This, this year has been, it's been tough on me. I, I, don't, I just don't know where to even begin. If you're there, Acts chapter 9, I, I'm going to back up just for a second. There's a man that we talked about last week, Ananias, who was a disciple, who was a follower of God, who was sitting there, willing and waiting. And this is what happens in Acts chapter 9, verses 10 through 12. Now, there was a disciple in Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, and he said, Here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, Rise and go to a street called Straight. And at that house of Judas, look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. For behold, he is praying. And he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come to lay hands on him so that he might regain his sight. Here's where it begins. It begins where you are. Missional living begins today, exactly where you are. This guy, Ananias, here's the beautiful thing about it. He didn't even leave town. I want you to get up and I want you to walk down the street to a street called Straight. Look, it wasn't even a hard walk. He didn't have any twists and turns. It's a straight shot, buddy. Hey, just straight down the road, like go right there. And some of you here are like, I don't even know where to begin. Yes, you do. There's someone sitting in the cubicle next to you that desperately needs to know about Jesus Christ. There's someone you can make a straight shot to right down the road in your neighborhood. You can take them cookies and be like, this is weird. I don't even know if you do this in 2021 anymore, but here's some cookies. Can I tell you about Jesus? I just need to tell you about the power of Jesus. We're called to begin where we are. John MacArthur, I like to quote him because he always makes you feel good about yourself as well. When God's got a job to do, he doesn't go up to the dusty shelf of dilapidated, impotent, non-functioning Christians and say, I think I'll dust off Joe and give him a job. God uses people who are already in the mainstream flow of what he's doing. And that's why some people have an abundance of ministries while other people are sitting around saying, I don't know what I'm supposed to do. Listen, the church has set long enough. We've set because of a pandemic long enough. There's a church that Jesus Christ has sanctified and he wants to be using for the glorification of his name among the nations. And that doesn't mean a building. It doesn't mean a program. It doesn't mean uh, the, you know, the, the budget. It means that there are individuals that are called by God to glorify him among the nations. And it begins right where you are. Please understand this, though. Spending time 
serving God begins by spending time in his word. Because if you're not filled up with the presence of God, you won't have much to pour out when you get out there. And there's a lot of people who say, I know I need to do this. I know I need to do this. And they, they get up and they go and they pour themselves out, but they haven't been filled up with the presence of God and they feel empty and unsatisfied and like a failure. But let me tell you, there's time that needs to be spent in the presence of God so we can pour out that time towards others. There's a plan A. There is no plan B. God uses his church to further his kingdom. And so we must see that God is at work and we need to join in. Like I said, for the last year, we've done a lot of sitting and that's because we didn't know how to respond to this pandemic. No, I don't think anyone, we were even talking about in, in like, hey, we're all in the same boat. What do we do here? The world has changed overnight. But God is in the move of our immobility. God is preparing people's hearts to receive the word of God. God did not stop because of a pandemic. He is expanding his kingdom even as we speak. He's on the move. God is going to use his church in a great way. Let me tell you something. He's in a move here and I can feel it. I know for a fact that God is preparing us for something great and because he's called us to something great. We sit back and we look at the uptick in social injustice, racism, riots, political upheaval, pandemics, persecution, a cancel culture, a moral reform that causes the world to approve of sexual sin and celebrate a culture of death. And it's all done in an effort to combat the move of God and the expansion of his kingdom. But let me tell you something, his kingdom will not be shaken. These things are are happening because they're trying to combat the expansion of his kingdom. But God has got himself a people that he's redeemed and he's sanctified and he wants to use for the glory of God. Amen. And we can't sit. We can't sit any longer because there's a plan A. And guess what? That plan A, the gates of hell will not prevail against it. He says that to Peter, Matthew chapter 16. And I tell you, Peter, on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth, earth will be loosed in heaven. We have a kingdom that will not be shaken. Hebrews 12, 26 through 29. At that time, his voice shook the earth and now he has promised yet once more, I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. This phrase, yet once more, indicates the removal of things that are shaken. That is things that have been made in order that the things that cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And thus, let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe. For our God is a consuming fire. Our God is a consuming fire. This last week, I heard a quote, and I want you to understand this before I pray. We're not living for the preservation of this nation. We're living for the proclamation of the gospel to every nation. Let's pray. Father, as we get into your word again, Lord, we lift up praise to you. We lift up honor and glory to you. You are to be honored and glorified in the way that we speak this morning, the way that we act this morning, the way that we treat one another this morning. God, it's, we get into your word. I would pray for conviction on my heart and the heart of all who hear that you have redeemed us for a purpose and that we can no longer sit, but we must proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. 
Put a burning desire in us, Lord, to see the hurts and the needs that are all around us that are physical and spiritual. Move us, Father, as we see the world shaking around us that we can put our feet firm on a foundation of Jesus Christ. Father, we come to you this morning. Reveal yourself to us through your scriptures. In Christ's name, amen. Acts chapter nine, picking up verse 32. Let's go. Now, as Peter went here and there among among them all, he came down also to the saints who lived in Lydda. There he found a man named Aeneas, bedridden for eight years, who was paralyzed. And Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Rise and make your bed. And immediately he rose. And all the residents of Lydda and Sharon saw him, and they turned to the Lord. Now there was in Joppa a disciple named Tabitha, which translated means Dorcas. She was full of good works and acts of charity. In those days, she became ill and died. And when they had washed her, they laid her in an upper room. Since Lydda was near Joppa, the disciples, hearing that Peter was there, sent two men to him, urging him, Please come to us without delay. So Peter rose and went with them. And when he arrived, he took, they took him to the upper room. All the widows stood beside him, weeping and showing tunics and other garments that Dorcas made while she was with them. But Peter put them outside and knelt down and prayed. And turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes. And when she saw Peter, she sat up. And he gave her his hand and raised her up. Then, calling the saints and widows, he presented her alive. And it became known throughout all Joppa. And many believed in the Lord. And he stayed in Joppa for many days with one Simon, a tanner. This is God's word. The emphasis shifts back to Peter here. And so we see, number one, missional living glorifies Christ by humbly pointing to his power. It says, In verse 34, and Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. He didn't say, in the name of Jesus Christ, I heal you. He said, Jesus Christ heals you. He didn't take any credit for himself. Now think about Peter. He could have been making this tour. He could have been making the tour by the, by the ocean side there, by the seaside. He could have set up a tent. He could have had a healing revival. He could have went from church to church to church and collected an offering. He could have done all these things and made a great name for himself. He could have been on social media and had so many followers. He could have went on TBN and had some conversations. He could have done all kinds of things, right, to make a name for himself, but he didn't do it. He simply says, Jesus Christ heals you. I want you to understand the heart of missional living is humility. The heart of missional living is humility. We must humbly point to the power of Jesus Christ. We must not point to what we can do, what we can accomplish, what we feel that we are great at. It's not about making a name for ourselves. It's about making a name of Jesus Christ high and lifted up. This is what missional living does. It's not about me. I don't want to take any credit for it, but I humbly point others to Jesus Christ. And this is what Peter is doing. And this is how we are to live missionally. Alexander McLaren says that this way, the first condition of work for the Lord is hide yourself behind your message behind your master and make it very plain that his is the power and that you are but a tool in the workman's hand. It's about Jesus Christ. Let me ask you, does your life make much of Jesus Christ? Or does your life make much of your name? When people see your 
actions and the way that you talk and the way that you live out missionally week in and week out, day after day after day, is his name glorified, humbly pointed to? Or do you like to take some of the credit for yourself? Peter shows us the example of missional living that, hey, it's Jesus Christ, it's not me. I'm just a, I'm just a tool, as we talked about last week. He's a tool in the, in the master's hand that's being used to further the kingdom. It's plan A. Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Rise and make your bed. If you have your Bibles, flip over with me to Mark. Mark chapter two, you're gonna keep your finger there because we're also gonna look at Mark chapter five here in a minute. But these two miracles that take place are so closely related to the miracles that Jesus did. And the reason they're so closely related is because they are establishing the church just as Jesus was establishing his followers. Jesus is still doing the miracles. He's still doing the work and he's still in charge. Even though he's ascended, he's working through his disciples in order to further his kingdom. You know, because there's plan A. God uses his church to further his kingdom. This is his plan. Mark chapter two, you know the story. There's a great crowd. They're all listening to Jesus. They're in this house. It's packed. You can't get in there. And these friends, they bring their, they bring their friend who's paralyzed on a mat. You remember the story? They can't get in, so they go up on the roof and they decide, hey, you know what? This isn't our house. Let's dig a hole in the roof. So they dig a hole in the roof and they lower him down because they don't care about rain. They don't care about all the, the fixing fees and how much lumber prices have gone up. They're just gonna lower him down. So they lower him down and this is where we pick up in verse five. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic son, your sins are forgiven. Now, some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, why does this man speak like that? He is blaspheming. How can you forgive sins but God alone? Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that thus was questioned within themselves, he said to them, why do you question these things in your heart? Which is easier, to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or say, rise and take up your bed and walk? Do you see that? Take up your bed and walk. Which is easier to say, Peter is carrying on exactly what he saw from Jesus Christ. That Jesus has the power to forgive sins, to take people who are paralyzed and stuck in life and move them into newness of life. There's a forgiveness of sins that, that came and it says that he immediately arose. You know what he didn't do? He didn't lay in his bed longer. He didn't say, you know what? I've been doing this for eight years and it's pretty comfortable. I kind of like it. You know, probably he had been laying there so long that people had to come and turn him because of bed sores. He didn't, he didn't lay there in that any longer. He didn't say, you know what? It's just part of me. It's my, it's my past. It's, kinda, it's just kind of who I am. It's kind of grown on me. Immediately he got up. Listen, when Jesus Christ says, take up your bed and walk, he's saying, get up out of your sin and let's start moving towards sanctification. He doesn't say, sit in your sin a little bit longer and say, it's just part of me. And so many believers say, yeah, I believe in Christ. Yeah, he's, he's saved me, but I'm just gonna sit in my sin a little bit longer. No, immediately. Some of us in here, we're, we're hanging on to sins of the past that we should have left a long time ago. Take up your bed and walk. It's time to pack it up and move away from those things that hinder you, that paralyze you, that cause sicknesses and illness and bed sores. It causes all these things that you know you should not be living in. Second thing, missional living glorifies Christ by humbly practicing his pattern. Verse 36. Now there was in Joppa a disciple named Tabitha, which translated means Dorcas. 
She was full of good works and acts of charity. In those days, she became ill and died. And when they washed her, they laid her in the upper room. Since Lydda was near Job of the disciples, hearing that Peter was there, sent two men to him, urging him, please come to us without delay. So Peter rose and he went with them. And when he arrived, he took him to the upper room. All the widows stood beside him, weeping and showing tunics and other garments the Dorcas made while she was with them. But Peter put them outside and knelt down and prayed. And turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise. Now, this is a remarkable story of a resuscitation, not a resurrection, because she's resuscitated to the same body. But this is a picture of one day there's going to be a resurrection. We've seen this before in Jesus's life when he's resuscitating people from the dead. And so he's showing us that, look, there is a greater hope. And Peter is following the pattern that he learned from Jesus. It says, all the widows stood beside him, weeping and showing tunics and other garments that Dorcas had made while she was with them. She was a woman of charity. She was a woman of good works. And this is the testimony that was left behind. Look at what she did. She, she provided for our needs. Look at all the physical needs that she, she took care of. What are we gonna do now that she's gone? But she's, but she's about to have a better testimony. A testimony that doesn't go away when the physical needs are lost, but a testimony that carries on because there's a hope of a resurrection. There's a hope of life everlasting. And she's about to be a picture of that. Mark chapter five, I told you to keep your finger there. Flip over with me. This is exactly the pattern we see that is followed by Peter. Mark 5, verse 38. They came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue and Jesus saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. And when he had entered, he said to them, why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. But he put them all outside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went in where the child was. Now, listen, he put all of them outside. Did you catch that? That's the same, same thing that happened in Peter's account uh, in Acts chapter nine. Put all of them outside. But he goes in, taking her by the hand, he said, Talitha kumi, which means little girl, I say to you, arise. Do you see the words that he said? Talitha kumi. What did Peter say? Tabitha, arise. Do you see how closely related these two are? Took her by the hand. Jesus took the little girl by. These are, these are too close to be a coincidence. Peter's following a pattern that he's learned from his master. Let me tell you, when people look at your life, is it too close to the pattern of Jesus to be a coincidence? Do that? It's just too close. Do you treat people the way that Jesus treated people? Do you love sinners the way that Jesus loves sinners? Are you saying things and doing things and following the pattern of Jesus in such a way that it's too close to be a coincidence? There's definitely been a change in your life. And that's Christ in us, the hope of glory. This is why we sang this song, with every breath I long to follow Jesus. For he has said, that he will bring me home. And day by day, I know he will renew me until I stand with joy before the throne. To this I hold, my hope is only Jesus. All the glory evermore to him. When this race is complete, still my lips shall repeat. Yet not I, but through Christ in me. This is the hope we have. This is why Paul was saying Galatians 2.20, I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. 
And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Missional living is living in such a way that the pattern of Christ is seen in and through your life because Jesus Christ is living in and through your life. It's not that we get any credit. We humbly point to the power of Christ. It's not that we think that we're doing good because we follow religious rules. No, our lives are being changed from the inside out in such a way that it's not a coincidence that our verbiage and our actions are pointing towards the pattern of Jesus Christ. Missional living. Thirdly, missional living glorifies Christ by humbly preaching his promise. Peter put them all outside, verse 40, and knelt down and prayed and turning to the body said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes. And when she saw Peter, she sat up and he gave her his hand, raised her up. Get this. Then calling the saints and widows, he presented her alive. And it became known throughout all Joppa. And many believed in the Lord. There's a purpose in the things that are being preached. That there is a hope in Jesus Christ. And this hope goes out to all the people so that many people will turn to the Lord. Peter goes out. It seems pretty simple, but he presents her alive. Here she is. There's life after death. Here she is. You can believe in the resurrection power of Jesus Christ. Just because he's ascended doesn't mean that he's not in control. There is a hope that is greater than anything we can provide. He doesn't go out there and say, now, good for y'all. She can make you all these little pretty tunics again. No. Oh, look at this. She's going to take care of y'all. She's going to start sewing any minute now. Let's get her sewing. And then we, you know, we can go on about ministry. No, he takes her out there and says, look, this, this is greater than any tunic she could make. This is the hope of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We can't forget that missional living must point to the resurrection. As we leave, as we walk out of these doors with our marching orders to, orders to live a missional life. We do so to point people to the power of Christ, not to ourselves. We do so to follow the pattern of Jesus Christ, just as Peter was following the pattern of Christ. And we do so because everything we do to meet physical needs is to point towards the resurrection and a hope. This is missional living. Plan A, God uses his church to further his kingdom. And that means he uses you and me to do so. Well, Jeff, where do I start? You start exactly where you are. Here I am, Lord. Are you willing to pray that this morning? Here I am, Lord. It's a dangerous prayer. It's a dangerous prayer that some of us, we'd, we're even fearful to verbalize. Because what if he does call you? What if you've been sitting here for months with a burden on your heart to go somewhere and yet you've used excuse after excuse after excuse? You've used fear to paralyze you. Missional living. Our lives are to be poured out for the glory of God everywhere we go. Does your life bring glory to God? Do you point to his power do you follow the pattern and do you point to the resurrection and the hope of Jesus Christ? I encourage you, church, be on mission. Live out a missional life as you walk out the doors. Today, it starts today. There's somebody you know needs to hear about Jesus. Go. Share the love of Christ. Let's pray. Father, we do come to you. We thank you for a loving, loving God who would send his son to show us that we are not alone. 
that we are not hopeless, we are not helpless in our sin, we're not paralyzed any longer, but you have given us forgiveness of sin, that we could get up, we could take our mat, we can go. Father, I pray that you use our ransom life for your glory, that we wouldn't fight for our will, but we would be obedient to your will today. Father, right now, I pray that you speak to hearts of minds of those who call you their Lord and Savior, and you push them towards obedience today. Put a burning desire in their heart to share the good news. Father, we love you. May you be glorified in the way that we surrender our lives to you today. In Christ's name, amen. Will you stand? Will you worship? Thanks for listening. It is our prayer that this message has helped you grow in your walk with Christ. Go to our website, meadowviewbaptist.com, or subscribe to hear more sermons like this, or to get more information about how to be involved at Meadowview Baptist.